There's a way, a way, such a better way Today, today Raise your voice, tell the world There's a better way Today, there's a better way This is Rod Adams, and it's time for another episode of The Atomic Show. I'm so excited today to welcome Oliver Stone and Joshua Goldstein, co-writers of the blockbuster new documentary, Nuclear Now. Oliver's been a fixture in the film industry for more than 40 years. He's a writer, a director, a producer, and he won an Academy Award for Midnight Express and another one for Platoon and Born on the Fourth of July. Joshua is a professor and an award-winning scholar of international relations. He's written widely and spoken on war and society, war's effect on gender, economics, and psychological trauma, and on peace and diplomacy. He got excited about nuclear and ended up writing a book called A Bright Future with Staff and Quist on the rapid response or rapid decarbonization in Sweden and France when they shifted to nuclear power. Oliver read Bright Future and got excited as well. Full disclosure, I play a modest role in the film and appear several times as an interviewed expert. Joshua, you and uh, Oliver have been working together on something for quite a while, but I want to start with asking Oliver, what made you read A Bright Future? Why did you get, get into that? Yeah, I don't normally... I don't particularly like reading science books or engineering books. I'm not that way. I'm more of a literary type guy. And uh, I, I think it was partly fear and partly concern about the future and confusion. I wanted to know because I'd like to get to the bottom of things. And I think it's an essential question. Is nuclear energy usable? Is it, is it, can it work? Why is, why are we, all these confusions and arguments and this and that and anti-nuclear. That's why I got into that book because it was a simple book. It was reviewed beautifully well by the New York Times. I picked it up, read it, called the author who was most cooperative. And basically we worked out a deal and we started about two and a half years ago off and on to work on this thing. Took a long time to get the script right. Took a long time to get the images right. We traveled to Russia, to France, to uh, uh, Idaho National Lab here in the United States. And we tried to encompass the world in our thinking. Uh, the book is about not just the United States, it's about the world. And that's we have to deal with this as a global issue. So it was an ambitious project from the beginning. And uh, it's now complete the best we can do. And we're taking our chances in this huge, crazy marketplace and to, to make sure that the re, uh, listeners understand, we're talking about the movie Nuclear Now, which oh. should be in theaters on May 1st uh, throughout the U.S. and Canada. And uh, and some international markets will be showing it also. And I believe there's also a plan to go pretty quickly to streaming services. This movie is one that is in some ways an answer to an inconvenient truth, which also could have been called an inconvenient question because the inconvenient truth posed problems, talked about how difficult we're gonna have it if we don't address climate change, 
but the solutions offered in, in Inconvenient Truth haven't worked very well, have they? I think both of us um, saw an Inconvenient Truth. It really is the origin of this movie in a sense, because we both saw it, we were both scared. Um, and uh, as you say, the, the solutions were absent. I remember seeing it and walking out and there was someone at a table in the lobby that of the theater that was handing out information about how to change your light bulbs to a more efficient model. And you've just seen how you know the fate of the world is up for grabs here and we're going down the wrong path and everything's like, you know, big, big, big problem. And then what can you do? Change your light bulb. And so clearly that wasn't going to work. You know, that wasn't going to happen. It started me down the path of learning about the problem, learning about the scale of it and doing the math, learning about the different solutions. And that led me to realize that you really can't solve it without nuclear power and, and quite a bit of it. Um, there's other possibilities. There's some unproven things that might pan out, but um, this is a proven solution that works at scale and, and we know that it can solve the problem. That led me to the book and then ultimately to the movie. And how big is the problem? How, what makes us think that nuclear can solve it if it's really as big as it, it, it seems to be? Well, 80% plus of the world's energy system runs on fossil fuels, and the numbers are just not coming down over the decades that we've been concerned about climate change. It's, it's barely moving. It's still over 80%. And uh, all this attention to wind and solar power, I don't like the term renewables because it's a mixed bag of things that are actually very different from each other. But um, just saying wind and solar, which is what people are really talking about, um, we're, we're building like crazy, we're spending like crazy, but it's all going in on top of fossil fuels, not replacing fossil fuels because the energy demand is growing. And we expect the energy demand will grow two to four times in the next 30 years as the poorer countries of the world become richer countries and use more energy. And that's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing, but they've been doing it on the, on the uh, fossil fuel program so far. And if there's something else is more convenient and faster and cheaper and more practical, they'll use that. And to my mind, that's nuclear power. It's, it can scale so fast because it's so concentrated. It's what makes it cheap potentially and what makes it environmentally friendly because it's such a small footprint, uses so few resources, all because it's incredibly concentrated, a million times more concentrated than fossil fuel. Um, so this is what I what I learned. I had grown up, you know, I've been an environmentalist all my life and uh, was against nuclear power. But then as I, as I learned about it, I learned everything that I knew about it wasn't true. And um, first I went through a phase of, okay, climate change is really serious. It looks like we're going to need nuclear power. That's too bad. I don't like it. And then as I learned about it, it's like, wait a minute, I love it. <laughs> like a wonderful way to get your energy. And then as, as we went further into it and, and you see it in the film, I learned that tragically we were on course to solve the problem. We, we just literally would not have the climate problem that we have now if we'd stayed on track when we were gonna build out a nuclear powered world 50 years ago. And instead we spent those 50 years staying on fossil fuels, talking about wind and solar and uh, being afraid of nuclear. Oliver, you spent almost that whole 50 years that Joshua spoke about 
living and working in Hollywood, Southern California, the the film industry. How are your associates uh, responding to the fact that you created this very positive film about nuclear energy and its importance in the world? Well, I can't say it's been an overwhelming rush to a sale or anything like that. It's, you know, the Hollywood business has not been friendly to nuclear at all. If you look at all the movies of the 50s, the monsters, the mutations and all that, and the radioactivity was a fright. It was a horror film. And it's always been a horror film. If you consider it, take it through a China syndrome, they made that into a horror film. And Silkwood and other uh, nuclear films. Uh, Doctor, even Doctor Strangelove is about the conflate the nuclear bomb. Of course, it's easy to conflate the nuclear bomb with nuclear, the word nuclear energy. And that's a problem. Certainly, President Trump conflates it. Uh, in Korea, for example, the Pandora film, which was very successful in Korea, drove drove the Korean populace to demand a cessation in their nuclear program. Also, the film has had a tremendous impact, and it's a shame because no one's, none of them are accurate and don't tell the truth. So here is a corrective. Unfortunately, it's a documentary, so we have a more limited audience, more limited interest, but I have high hopes that we will eventually penetrate by showing up again and again in the in the files, will be seen maybe retroactively in ten years. It doesn't matter to me. Fifteen years, at least, it's a start somewhere to start thinking differently and using what God gave us. It's a tremendous gift to Earth. Tremendous gift. This this natural heat that we have. This energy that was given to us and we had blown it we haven't it's the greatest in my view one of the greatest lost opportunities of history in america yeah. yeah you talk about the the incredible density of energy that was a result of a supernova pressing all of that matter into a very small space all you know making these heavy uh, atoms it is a gift why have we, or what was your conclusion after talking to people all over the world, what has slowed nuclear down? Fear. Fear. Oh, it's always fear. It's the mythology of the mythology about it not working, about it being dangerous, 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 with keep saying dangerous. The press passes it on. The radioactive waste issue, the radiation issue. They get passed around and passed around, but it, it, we examine it in detail in our film, and I, we it's just mythology. It's like, you know, uh, what can you say? It's like the flat earth, or, you know, they believed that the earth was flat for, for a long time. And so I, how do you change people's thinking? Sometimes it's locked in. Yeah. We, one of the things that always, I don't know, is surprising to me is people talked about film and visual and imagery and you know it, using that as a way to to scare people about nuclear but when you take pictures of a nuclear power station it's pretty innocuous looking it's not fearful and even after fukushima almost all of the images that scare people have nothing to do with the nuclear reactor <laughs> I know it's uh, exaggeration has worked. 
repetition uh, of exaggeration has worked. The uh, the the uh, it's really high, uh, as we say in the film. Fear is a mind killer. So unless we open our minds, it's very hard to. We have to get to the younger generation, talk to them. And I think it's working. There are more younger people see the difference between nuclear power and nuclear war. And of course, this new climate of war in Ukraine with the talk of exaggerated talk of the reactors blowing up doesn't help. It's just couldn't, the timing couldn't be worse in a way just to come out. Yeah, although it's, it's interesting, we've been hearing that same story now for about 14 months. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering when it's going when the, the village people are going to say to the, the kid who keeps running and saying that the wolf is going to bite us, are going to say, you know, we've been listening to you for a long time. And yeah. uh, that, that the, the reactors are still there. They're, they've been shut down for a long time. And, you know, they, they really don't require a lot of water flow to keep them cool anymore. They're just kind of sitting there surrounded by their thick walls of concrete. When you got to tour around some of the facilities you saw, what what was your impression? Uh, uneventful. That they're uneventful, and that's a problem because because they're uneventful, people don't don't appreciate uh, don't appreciate them. As Josh said uh, in another contest, he said, if we had more accidents in the nuclear industry, uh, people would be more accepting because they would understand that any new industry is difficult. And the, this, the record of safety on this industry is remarkable considering the, uh, what the damage could have been. But it's too bad because people take it for granted. Yeah. They, closed, they closed down last night in Germany. They, they closed the last three uh, plants, nuclear plants. It's insane to do that. Insane in Germany. Yeah. To more, more renewables in uh, and more coal too. It was a little bit amusing to me that on the next day after germany closed four gigawatts of nuclear plants finland started operating commercially 1.6 gigawatts of nuclear plants next door and are now less dependent on imports uh, from finns anywhere always, else finns are very smart they've always been <laughs> they stick to their i like the finnish people and i like the german people but they on this issue they're nuts they are really nuts i've talked to a few german people they go crazy. They, it's it's a religion, as uh, in the film, as uh, the senator says. What's his name? Well, uh, yeah, that's a, a different. That's Ted Cruz in the film is saying that uh, climate change is a religion, but it's certainly <laughs> anti-nuclearism is a religion. There's the there's the the what if problem, like with this reactor in Ukraine, like something could go wrong. What if? What if? What if? And this is why I say like. When nothing ever goes wrong, then people, when there's this drumbeat of, of, of fear propaganda going on decade after decade, then people think if anything goes wrong, it must be a complete catastrophe, for, you know, the end of the world, because we're being so careful to make sure nothing ever goes wrong. And so that was my comment that it would be better if we had more accidents, if it was a little closer to civil aviation. Once in a while, a plane crashes. We learn from it. Fewer happen over time because we get better at it. Mm -hmm. And um, But with nuclear, because there's so few accidents, people don't have that, that learning curve. Um, and I think that we can't live in a world where, 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 where we try to tell people nothing will ever go wrong. Actually, the US Navy is the biggest offender here because 
in all these years of running hundreds of reactors in the submarines and aircraft carriers, they've never had a radiological incident. And so it's like that becomes the standard. And come on, God, you know, like one every few years anyway, it's still very, very safe, right? Compared with running a ship on any other fuel source. But I mean, that the, I'm half joking about it, especially with the Navy, because Rick Over put in place a really stringent safety culture, and that's been good for the industry, I think. But we, we can't go by this zero risk kind of standard, especially when it's not applied to the other alternatives. If you're not, if you don't have a nuclear plant, then you're going to run coal or oil or gas, and they're all, you know, way more dangerous, hundreds of times more dangerous. Yeah, and when you, whenever anybody says to me, what do you do with the waste? I say, well, we, we've been handling the waste now for 70 years. Let's turn it around. What do fossil fuel people do with their waste? You know, it, it resides in our lungs. It resides in the lungs of our cats and our dogs and birds and alligators and all those other things. <laughs> and I say that only because Oliver doesn't really like my alligator in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm scared of it. <laughs> I, my co-author on the book, Stefan Fist, and I each had the same experience, but in different places. Him looking at the swimming pool in Sweden that has all the spent fuel from their whole program. They've been powering uh, is 40% now, 30% of the grid for decades. And me with my local nuclear plant, Vermont Yankee, and now shut down, standing next to the dry casks. In each case, the water or the concrete protects you from the radiation. So neither of us had any protective gear at all. And we're standing right there looking at it. And both of us said to ourselves, like, this is what the, all the fuss is about. You know, it's so innocuous. It's never hurt anybody. And yet it's referred to as deadly radiation, deadly radioactive waste or, you know, lethal problem. There's no solution to the problem, et cetera. And sitting there on a concrete pad, good for the next hundred years, I say, solve climate change now, do something with the waste in a hundred years, either burn it in a new reactor or put it underground like the Finns are doing. Um, but right now I'm perfectly happy with it sitting on the, the pad in the cask. It's, it's sound. So if it's time for nuclear now, and we are addressing the fears, and I truly I'm get involved in a lot of conversations and people are, even the worst offenders or worst opponents are starting to believe that nuclear is pretty safe. The answer they say is, well, it takes too long and it costs too much. What did you find uh, people are, are doing to address those obstacles? Oliver? I mean, well, I mean, so the film goes around the world. This is a this is a global issue. Climate change, which is motivating us, not everybody, is a global problem, and nuclear power is a global solution. So um, it takes a long time to build in the United States the way we're doing it right now. It didn't used to. It used to be uh, three or four years and cheap to build, and now. In the United States, we've got the two plants in Georgia are the, going to be the first ones actually built under the NRC, which was started 50 years ago, almost. So, um, you know, they've, they've really shut it down. And now that we're, we have the counterexample of one being built, two, two reactors being built, 
in Georgia, that becomes the negative example for the whole thing because they took so long and were so expensive because of how they're regulated and how we build it here. Part of it is the problem of large scale infrastructure, concrete projects. We're not very good at them in the West. If it's the new Tappensee Bridge or the big dig in Boston or the Amsterdam Metro or any number of airports, they tend to go over budget and way over schedule. And the same was true of these plants in Georgia. But in China, they built that same reactor design, basically the same AP1000 in a quarter of the time, I think, or a third of the time and a quarter of the cost, you know, just like way faster, way cheaper. South Korea, because they built a number of reactors in a row, uh, serial build, learn from your mistakes, get better at it, bring costs down. And they're nuclear before they unwisely shut it down five years ago. Now they're trying to bring it back. But it was cheaper than everything on the grid. Hydro, coal, you know, they, they don't have natural gas, uh, so they have to import it, so that's expensive. Um, but it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be um, fast. And it's not dangerous. So all these things that are, you know, the leading talking points against nuclear are actually the points in favor of it. Because it's so concentrated, it's really fast to build. We know this from France, 15 years, take fossil fuel off the grid, replace it with nuclear power. And they've got the, you know, among the lowest carbon emissions in the world. And it's cheap, you know, so um, not expensive. When you build it, when you do it right, it's cheap. Um, and then we know it's not dangerous. So this is a, a form of propaganda where you take the strong points of somebody. This, this was like John Kerry and the swift boating. It's a, it's a whole style where you, you take a war hero and attack him on his war record, for instance. You take a source that is uh, so wonderful because it's cheap to build, fast to build, and super safe, hundreds of times safer than the alternative, and you attack it for being slow, expensive, and dangerous. And somehow this sticks, but it's a big lie. Yeah, the big lie is is something that it's it is of concern to me that we were on the path where if we had simply kept building at the same rate we had achieved by the end of the 1980s, by 2000 there would not have been any coal left to be burned in the U.S. For example, several other countries would have pushed fossil fuels completely out. France ran out of places to build in France, ran out of market. They could have expanded their building program around the world at that point, but, but they also stopped. So um, what, what do we do to convince the people who are very concerned about climate change and maybe don't know much at all about nuclear, that nuclear is a tool that can help them help them achieve what they want to achieve. Well, that's what we're trying to do with a movie. That's all I could do. I mean, I, can't, I, I have no uh, platform. I'm not a scientist. I'm going off the book. The book is, is, is simple, understandable, easy to read. It's, fa it's fast. It's called A Bright Future. And the film is Nuclear Now. Read it and think about it, talk about it with anybody you want. But you'll find that people who are in the know, who know nuclear, will tell you the same thing it's a solution. It's the most comprehensive solution. It's not the only solution, but it's certainly the, it can, it can scale up at a big, at a big pace in the next 30 years. 
we can build and we can build, keep building, keep building. Build one, and then you can build two, then you build three. You know, it's simple. You have to have that Hyman Rickover attitude. Get it done. Yeah. Just to I, let I don't me... think people realize just how fast we built submarines in, uh, in the U.S. We were building eight or so a year, 10 a year in some cases. Well, now we and have... that was with a very small set of shipyards. So well, we, It's because of money. We have a huge industrial, military industrial complex in this country. It's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and less efficient as it goes, much less efficient. They can't meet any of the, they can't even account for all the lost money at the Pentagon. <laughs> I came out of that, that uh, era myself and I, I was a frustrated budgeter for the Navy for many years. So it's difficult. All right. I, I think you guys have produced a valuable product. And where can people find out how to learn more? Where, where can they find out about the film? Buy tickets for the movie theaters. What what is going on there? Well, it's coming out in uh, all various cities in the United States. About uh, three hundred, I think. Am I right? Uh, three hundred theaters uh, in uh, April twenty eighth. You know, it, just in theaters, and then it'll come out in digital later in the summer. Uh, but uh, so it, it'll spread. It's gonna, and then we're also working on on foreign international sales, and we have educational sales. So it'll, it'll, it'll work its way through the bloodstream gradually. It's not gonna go as fast as a big series or a commercial series, it's, but it's important series. It's, a it's, not, a, it's not a dramatization like uh, Chernobyl was, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, and like one of the hard things with nuclear is that it's not very dramatic. It's not very thrilling unless, you know, the, the Chernobyl would keep going back to that, like the, the one time it was dramatic. But usually it's not, it's very routine. And so it's hard to make a thriller movie out of that. But um, there's a website with all the theatrical listings and, and the trailer, which I think is wonderful. And it's at nuclearnowfilm.com. Um, so people can go there. It'll be in Los Angeles and New York for a week starting April 28th. Um, and you know multiple showings during each day. And that's a chance for people to see it and then tell their friends, hey, I saw this movie, go see it, it's still in the theater. When it comes out in LA and New York, it's going out to the other cities too. It's not. And then on May the 1st, Nuclear oh. Now Day, um, it'll be in 350 theaters in all 50 states, 10 Canadian provinces and Puerto Rico. Um, so those listings are on the website, nuclearnowfilm.com. So you can go catch it, but it's for one night only. Um, everybody, you know, has, a, has their chance to see it in the theater. And I, I would say it's better in the theater, of course. It's a big Oliver Stone movie. It's got a wonderful soundtrack by Vangelis, his last soundtrack. He died last year. Um, and, um, you know, it's great in a theater. But if you miss the May 1st and you don't live in New York and L.A., then uh, it will be out in digital later um, and, and all around the world because it's an international subject very good I'm, I'm excited planning to go to my local theater drag as many of my neighbors with me actually they're actually pretty excited to go so they just are interested in the topic because i keep boring them about it so <laughs> full disclosure full disclosure you're in the movie you should say that to your audience <laughs> okay i'm in the movie you, you can actually see me in the trailer if you don't don't blink 
<laughs> you'll hear my my voice say the word nuclear. <laughs> so, it, but but, it, you, it was, but you, you have a big role in the movie, and you you're in in several places, and and you're great in the movie. So don't downplay yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I will have to share that it was a tremendous experience to to go out, be interviewed, to to discuss uh, something that's been my passion for many years. And uh, appreciate the the opportunity to to participate and to chat with you guys today. I, I wish you all the luck in your theatrical release, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Rod, for all your efforts on behalf of this. You're a good man. <laughs> Why? Thank you. That's what my wife tells me once in a while. <laughs> you are. We need people like you. A reminder: the guests on this Atomic Show were Oliver Stone and Joshua Goldstein. This episode of The Atomic Show was brought to you by Nucleation Capital. We're a venture capital fund focused on selecting ventures with extraordinary promise. They're building the advanced nuclear sector and helping expand our clean energy options. We're building a portfolio of ventures on behalf of investors like many of you. We don't just take funds from the large institutions that typically allocate to venture capital. We believe that regular investors should have access to the opportunities in modern nuclear for their own portfolios. We allow people to subscribe on a quarterly basis, starting as low as $5,000 per quarter. A four-quarter subscription will get you exposure to between four and six ventures. If you are an accredited investor and would like to learn more about how you can participate, please check out our website at nucleationcapital.com. That's nucleationcapital, all one word, dot com. Our fund and all of the information you need to subscribe is available online. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, Nucleation Insights, and join our pro-nuclear investor network to learn about select syndicated investment opportunities. If you have questions, we're happy to chat. Please spread the word. There's a way, a way, such a better way Today, today Raise your voice, tell the world There's a better way Today, there's a better way Ooh, there's a way Such a better way Today, today Now raise your voice, tell the world There's a better way The way is the Adam's way